welcome to a Four Corners podcast dark match. Uh, this is Brad, and today there is a special guest who has made a brief cameo on the show before. But t- joining me to talk about um, a show today is my wife, Kelly. Hello, everybody. So it's Mania weekend, which means lots and lots of indie shows. Um, yeah, so I'm not doing this in the basement, so you might hear some outside sounds. <laughs> um, we decided I want I decided I wanted to do a dark match for this, and um, my wife Kelly was nice enough to agree to watch a show with us, with me for this weekend. So we decided to go with Chikara Once Upon a Beginning because that seemed like it would be a little more interesting. But before we get to that show, I kind of wanted to talk with my wife a bit about her history with wrestling, just so you can kind of get an idea of her preferences and her, you know, memories of wrestling as a whole. So why don't we start with what are your, you know, early memories of wrestling like who are your favorites did you watch wrestling as a kid things like that fun trivia fact brad and i are the same age we were born in the same year so one of my very first memories ever let alone a wrestling is one of the times that randy savage hit elizabeth or she got hurt during a match i don't think she and i don't think he ever hit her i think i think you might be thinking about when he turned on Hogan because she got hurt during a match and Hogan like carried her off. Yes. Yeah. And my mom was so upset and my dad was like pro savage. And my mom was like, yay, Hulk Hogan. Um. It's, it's actually <laughs> funny now because, um, as time has passed, more people side with Savage than they do with Hogan in that situation. That is funny. Um, but yeah, so I, I brought up that we were born in the same year because I feel like the 80s and the 90s were kind of, I don't know, is there an actual age for it? Like, is it is it something really in wrestling talk? Like the golden um, age of wrestling? Well, the 80s would be like the rock and wrestling connection. That's like the Hogan years. And then the 90s kind of go into what is like the Monday Night Wars era, which is like the late 90s when WCW and um, the WWF were going head to head. Yeah, I feel like you couldn't be a kid raised in the 80s and 90s without. Well, I think I think it was special for our generation because there were two there were two periods. There was the Hogan years in the 80s when every kid was into it. But then. A lot of us got back into it, like when the NWO hit and like when Austin and The Rock got really big. So there was kind of a twofer where it kind of went away for about five years and then it came back really strong for a couple of years. Well, like most kids in the 80s and 90s, I had lots of exposure to the WCW and the WWF. I mean, one of my favorite, Brett the Hitman Hart, was one of my first crushes ever. And, uh, he still does it for me. Um, I mean, I knew all the names when I met you and you talked about wrestling. I mean, I was very or fairly fluent in the big names. You know, Jake the Snake, Andre the Giant. My brother loved Ultimate Warrior. I watched the wrestling cartoon. Oh, the Hulk Hogan one? Yeah. You know, I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen really? more than an episode of it. Yeah, I watched that probably with my brother. Um 
We went to a show when I was little. My family went to the Richfield Coliseum and saw a show where I don't remember exactly, but my dad says that Hogan and Savage um, were the main. Another fun fact, I don't know if Brad's told you. We used to do a hockey podcast together. It's been a long time since I podcast, and every time I say, um, I want to shoot myself in the foot. So sorry, I'm working on it. It's funny, we actually, (laughs) I think we'd only been dating for a couple of months, and we went to a show together. I think it was a SmackDown, and we totally missed the match because we were watching some guy get arrested down on the floor during a tag match. I forgot about that. Yeah. I don't even remember who was yeah. on that show. That's been so, that's been like ten years now. Yeah. So I mean, I say I have. I started with the passing knowledge. You, know, you want to look at outside the pro wrestling. Um, my parents had me very young, and my dad was a wrestler in high school. So he always was wrestling with my brother and I, and teaching us the actual moves. And I wanted to join the wrestling team, but in the nineties in Podunkville where I lived that was frowned upon so wrestling has always been a part of my life here and there in various um various scenarios but part of that whole my dad was a wrestler the Steiner brothers were huge in my house because they wore singlets and my dad was like that's real wrestling um Rick wore the headgear too yeah yeah he wore the headgear and then my dad my dad had a more physical job and it so happened that with the job he had made a lot of sense that a lot, well, not a lot, but a few, quite a few of the men that he worked with were trying to, what, what, get into the business? I don't know yeah. the correct phrases. That would be getting into um, the business, I think. So we went to quite a lot of indie shows where we watched his coworkers and his friends wrestle and I even still have some of the shirts from those days so you have shirts from from um the small shows that your your dad's friends worked on yeah my dad's friends shirts yeah I still have one we just dug it up I was gonna take it home to my dad next weekend oh that's cool I know you're not as into the terminology but so what would you say like speaks to you the most like as far as like match styles and when you asked me that and i asked for clarification and still i'm not quite sure that i paid enough attention to speak to that i can tell you what i enjoyed the most and you told me these aren't styles but uh, the japanese women's wrestling i've really enjoyed watching that's called joshi yoshi or go joshi joshi it would look like josh with an eye on the end okay it's so it's um, it's its own style in Japan. Like most of the promotions are segregated by gender there. So there's been points in Japanese women's wrestling history where some of the top women's wrestlers have been just as popular as like the top men wrestlers in other promotions. But a lot of those promotions fell by the wayside later on due to like mismanagement and like top stars retiring and stuff. So that's kind of a brief history of joshi wrestling do they know what a wrestling nerd you are do they know the amount of wrestling that i watch in my life um i've because talked about I it live in a house with you <laughs> so i mean i've seen i've seen what rocky mountain wrestling i've seen random smoky mountain smoky mountain random 
backyard DVDs you get your hands on. Yeah, um, pretty much. The Mexican wrestling. The I think Japanese you even wrestling. sat through the old British like with rounds style from the seventies before. Yeah, yeah. I've I've put in my time, friends. Um. So how is that? Is someone coming in with like a cursory knowledge and realizing that there's this whole level of this whole world of wrestling that exists outside of the WWE WCW world? Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, you think I would have had more of an idea because of my my indie exposure, but the depth that's out there, the history of it, I don't know, wrestling's culture, I guess, in general, were all things that I didn't know about. So seeing that and learning about those from you were, were definitely eye-opening. It's interesting, too, because... If you tell people that you're a wrestling fan, they just assume you watch WWE. And it's a big kind of leap of faith to not look like a freak to say, no, I watch hours of wrestling in a foreign language. And they're guys I'm a fan of that I've never understood a single word they've spoken ever. That's the beauty of wrestling, though, is it's as much about the performer and the charisma and their almost um, their performance, their dancing ability than it is about anything else. So wrestling really doesn't have a language barrier. Yeah. And actually, we were just talking about that on a regular episode because um, we were talking about someone that we don't connect with. And then I brought up a Japanese wrestler and I said, I connect much more with that guy. And I've never understood a single word that's ever come out of his mouth. For me, and watching a lot of wrestling that I wouldn't necessarily choose to watch. I think there are parallels in our marriage to the ballet. So I really enjoy the ballet. And Brad doesn't enjoy it, but doesn't mind going. And tell them your reason that you're okay with going to the ballet. This is for any married guy out there. It's a very, um, there's a lot of physical exertion for it. They can't do it very long. It makes your wife very happy and you're probably only going to be out two and a half hours max. So for me, wrestling is very similar in that it's physical. Um, there's pageantry. So even if it's not my thing, even if I wouldn't go out and seek this out on my own, there's still some real artistry there that, um, that I can respect and still enjoy watching. I think you, there's certain things even now, I think you're more keen on watching. Like if there's an NXT takeover, you seem like you're willing to sit down and watch that versus um, sitting through one of their endless pay-per-views now. No, NXT is probably what draws me in the most when you have it on the TV. So speaking of NXT, you watched um, War Raiders versus Aleister Black and Ricochet with me last night. What did you think of that match? I mean, it was amazing. We've been saying since we watched it, that the entire weekend is going to have to live up to that match now. It was wrestling at its finest. This has actually been talked about on our regular podcast, but you have said that Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage is the best match you've ever seen, and you've dared me to beat that, which I haven't yet. No, you have not. You said, I believe you said the closest thing that you've seen is um, Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc 97. Yes. 
So what is it about the Savage Steamboat match that spoke so much to you? I don't know. The first word that popped in my head was beautiful. So obviously you can tell that you could tell how much preparation and work went into it. You could tell how much pride they took in their work. I love, I mean, I think everybody loves, right? The aerial stuff and and all the fancy moves and just the sheer amount of punishment. But um, amazing things that these people can put their bodies through. And it was just, it was so well done and such a good example of that. What I thought was interesting is, um, so a couple years ago, I watched a bunch of WWE TV and um, you really latched on to Randy Savage in a new way for you, I think, at the time. I did, yeah. Because I think you said like he's, there's just something genuine about the way he acts. Yeah, and I actually... It draws a comparison to one of the shows we watched today. So, and I mean, we're going to get there, obviously, but we watched Chikara today, which was, and the main event was Touchdown versus Hatfield ladder match. And my first impression was Hatfield was the character and Touchdown was playing a character. And I think as an adult going back and watching the Savage stuff and the Hogan stuff, it's that it's Savage was the character and Hogan played a character. So that authenticity and that, that more connected feeling comes through for me now as a 30 year old, 30 ish year old. Yeah. So let's, um, before we get into the Chikara show, you have a bit of history with Chikara because you came upon it in a unique way. Because you listened to a certain podcast that uh, Mike Quackenbush was on. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it. Grizzly Bear Egg Cafe. Okay. All I kept thinking was uh, Man Bear Pig. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that random combination of words. Well, no, actually, it was, you found that show because of Jim Harold's campfire. Because him and um, his friend were on there. Correct. And then you decide to listen to them because you like them. And that's how you got exposed to Mike Quackenbush. Right. And then I came home one day and was like, who's this Mike Quackenbush guy? I want to check out Chikara. Yeah, so you've seen you've seen Chikara off and on. And um, if you haven't seen Chikara, it's, it's quite the experience of oddness at times. And I think we'll, we'll get into that a bit. I think with one of the characters from today's show... Chikara, I feel like, lacks the ego and the drama and kind of like, not, not drama. I'm not saying drama and that it's not interesting. Like, the petty drama stuff. Like Chikara's to... like its own universe yeah, and it's, it's more epic and grand and... Fun. Yeah. It's actually fun. It's not just raw all the time. So for this show, we're, we're talking about... Um, Chikara, once upon a beginning, sorry, they have weird names sometimes. So this happened, I believe, Friday at noon, and this was part of Mania Weekend. And like I said, I picked this because Kelly's had some exposure to Chikara, and it'd be a little more fun, and I thought there'd be a little more to latch onto than just... We also watched um, WrestleCon USA vs. The World, and that show was okay, but I don't feel like we could have sat here and talked 
about that show with any depth or fun to it. The one we watched right before? Yeah. Yeah, it. there were no comments, really. Just Other like, than Meh. the Puma King-Sammy um, Guevara match. Yeah, well, Puma was the best part of the whole show, for sure. Well, and um, um, Dan Barry is saying that he smelled like farts. But, yeah, that's a discussion for another time. Well, no, I liked him. I liked um, I liked Puma King at the end, giving him the finger and getting the crowd to chant, fuck you. That was pretty good. I thought it was interesting. The Heart Foundation wrestled in their whatever iteration they're in now. Oh, that's Teddy Hart and um, the British Bulldog's son. And the way that this promotion was set up was America versus the world kind yeah. of thing it, it's um they have a thing called wrestlecon and they do wrestlecon shows but they're not real that's not really like an active promotion they're just like special shows for the con so they did like a super show and then they did usa versus the world usa versus the world but it was interesting well i thought it was funny that i watched the heart foundation wrestle and then it was like oh the the world won and i said you know you really can't i realize they're wrestling for canada but they're very you can't be an institution in America and then, like, not be considered kind of quasi-Americans. And then Teddy Hart took the mic and was like, I know we're wrestling for the world, but... <laughs> and basically said the same thing I did. So that was fun. That Black Taurus guy was cool, too. Oh, he was very cool. If you've never seen Black Taurus, Google it. I don't know if he'll come He's up like in full regalia. wrestling minotaur. Yeah. He had, like, faces on his knee, uh, knee braces and... He was full on costumed. We're going to hit this with, um, I think we're just going to go match by match and talk about it a bit. So the first match we had was um, Cornelius Crummels and Sonny Defarge defeated CCK, who are Chris Brooks and Kid Lycos. I thought this was a fun little opener. Chris Brooks is a very tall, lanky man. Yeah, I actually wrote down Mother Flucker. <laughs> He's a tall Mother Flucker. Yeah, he really stood out, and it was almost hard to watch the match when he was standing on the turnbuckle because, or standing next to the turnbuckle, because he was so tall. You were just trying to figure out how tall he was. Yeah, no, I don't think this was the best match of the show, but this definitely we came off of. Um, we came off of WrestleCon, which they had some okay matches on there, but this was kind of like a nice um, refresher coming off of the USA vs. the World show. I think it was a good tone setter as well. And it had good, like, there was good crowd energy to it. Did, um, other than the tall guy, did anyone else in the match stand out to you? Like, the other, we were trying to figure out the other team's gimmick, but I wasn't quite sure. I said I thought they were kind of like old-timey bootleggers or something. I called it a Sherlock Holmes vibe. Like, when they walked down. Yeah. Like, I guess their coats reminded me of Sherlock Holmes. But it was a whole, like... They were supposed to be gross. Yeah. So he sneezed on people, and then there was, like, dripping snot, and then he sucked the snot off the guy's finger. Yeah. Like, it... And you could also tell they were working out their technical difficulties. I don't know if they didn't have a sound check or what, but you could hear them making the calls. And then after that, I think they turned the mics down a little bit. Yeah, well, th that, that ring was mic'd horribly, like, to start, too, because, like, they would just, like, step, and it would be, like a bump in a different, like, arena. 
Is it Trummels and Defarge? Crummels. Crummels? Yeah. So they had a lot of fun partner moves. That was the most interesting part of that match, actually, was their, the moves that they did together. Uh, one of them was called the Oliver Twist, which I think went with their English stick pretty well. Yeah. Actually, they're both fairly established teams, and I think it really showed through on this. Yeah. So then the next match, we had uh, Missile Assault Man defeated um, Boomer Hatfield. Uh, we both kind of got a kick out of this one, even though it was kind of like a quick little squash match. Well, first I'd like to call out that a female ref went in for that one. I don't think... Oh, I don't remember. I don't pay attention to the refs, so... Yeah, a female ref came in for that one. I was really excited. Yeah, the size difference was the biggest part of the match. At one point, Missile Assault Man threw Hatfield across the ring, like, with air. Yeah. Four feet above the ground, threw him across the ring. So if, if you're a little behind on your Chikara, Boomer Hatfield is supposed to be, like, Dasher Hatfield's son. But um, what I liked about this is when Boomer got his offense in... Sometimes um, when they do the big guy versus the small guy, the big guy has to look like a moron for the small guy to get his offense in. That's true. And I thought they did a good job of Boomer's offense made sense within the context of the match. Like his big moves were coming off of like, I think when he got that big DDT, he had Missile Assault Man like prone in the ropes where he didn't have to like actually muscle him down. He had him like leverage where he just had to like use what his weight was no that's a good that's a really good insight i didn't you're right i never felt like it was dumbed down or you know they had to write somebody stupid to make it work it just they it worked and i actually thought um boomer was okay but i think in the context of this show i thought missile assault man had a lot of star power to him compared to like a lot of not not like comparatively to a lot of guys there were some guys with more star power but i thought he he carried himself like a big deal and i think i think if you were watching this for the first time he'd be one of the ones you'd come out of this saying oh i want to see that guy again or i want to see what happens with him yeah i can see that so the next we had um an eight-man tag this was oh and these were all guys um former young lions cup holders yeah. yeah so this was Jigsaw, Razorhawk, Stokely Hathaway, which is Chuck Taylor. Um, there's a whole storyline behind that that we won't get into. But um, And then the Estonian Thunder Frog defeated Eric Cannon, uh, Cam Zagami, Hallow Wicked, and Hermit Crab. As far as this show went, I thought this was probably the weakest match on the show. I didn't love the Princess Kimberly and Whisper match, but... That was, yeah, that was quick. The best part, well, there were two funny parts of this, and both funny parts were courtesy of Hermit Crab. So first, Hermit Crab's music is a blatant ripoff of Crab People from South Park, which made me extremely happy. Um, and then the the commentators, one of whom was uh, Mike Quackenbush, were joking about how he was a jerk hermit crab was a jerk and um the one guy said you know i got a picture with him once and he was really upset 
And Mike Quackenbush was like, yeah, he charged me for a picture. <laughs> that was the best part, yeah. <laughs> and the other guy was like, I just took a selfie and ran. Like, it, it was, that was probably the best part of the show. I agree. <laughs> you said something during the match, and I agreed with it in hindsight after watching it. Other than, I thought when Chuck Taylor and Eric Cannon did some stuff early that it was good. But um, you said that Jigsaw and Hallow Wicked were the best parts when they interacted with each other. And I tended to agree with that. Yeah, the way that they did it was each wrestler, the first guy got tagged on one team, and then the guy on the other team kind of picked who he was going to fight is how they set it up to look. And Jigsaw and Hollow Wicked went against each other. And they and they and the commentators said that they had been wrestling together for years and had a history, And but it looked like that. It looked like two people who were totally in sync and uh, had a really good mini wrestling match within that that tag. So uh, to go on a slight tangent here, because we we were talking about the commentators. So when you watch like when you watch this, how do you feel? And I know Mike's like the booker and the owner. How did you feel watching this, listening to the commentary versus like a WWE show? Like with a WWE show, you you usually complain about how terrible they are, but. Do you feel like going into this kind of cold that like Mike and his co-host would bring you in like and explain like the characters to you and their like motivations and like what was going on versus WWE where they just throw their kind of like empty language at you or did you notice a difference? No, I'd agree with that because I didn't have to ask you background questions very much. I didn't have to say, okay, so why does that guy hate that guy? because they naturally brought it up within the context of the match. Like I that's how I found out that <laughs> that's how I found out that Jigsaw and Hollow Wicked had this history of and when Jigsaw took Hollow's belt from him and you know, they, they built all that into the match so you could walk into it and see that. And then going back to what I said about the angst, like instead of everything being like angsty and high drama just for drama's sake instead it was just fun commentary that you could get into well i also thought it was interesting and you brought this up that you said you specifically pointed out hermit crab and you liked hermit crab and it was just a guy that came to the ring with a shell and a crab costume and you liked his music but nothing else really stood out to him until the announcers said he was a jerk and charged him for a picture and you thought that was hilarious. So now you remember Hermit Crab. Yep, exactly. I have a bad guy thing. And then, okay, so next we had um, A-Kid defeats Airwolf. What did you think of this one? I thought it was a good match, a good matchup. Um, my actual notes were nothing spectacular but solid. And I thought that they pulled out a lot of interesting moves and holds. Um because I remember actually writing that, that it was just a solid match. And then a couple minutes later, I was like, oh, they are doing some Venom stuff now. So I thought it was solid overall. Yeah, I thought they I thought they built up pretty good. I thought, um, to me personally, I thought Airwolf was a much bigger star. Absolutely. And um, I didn't think A-Kid was bad, but like the Airwolf was just interesting. Like I, I found myself drawn into anything that Airwolf was doing. But, like, when A-Kid was doing stuff, it was kind of like, eh, whatever. But, yeah, I don't I don't have a lot to say about this because it was, it was a good match, but it was, like, it was just kind of there. Yeah, exactly. 
you were just kind of like, oh, that's fun. Like, on to the next thing. So then up next we had um, the Young Lions Cup was on the line. And you're going to have to forgive me. This name is quite... Uh, I love it. Still Life with Apricots and Pears successfully defended his Young Lions Cup against Carlos Romo. So no, it, no, no. You just misgendered him. You know, sorry. You just misgendered they. Oops. Sorry, guys. So Still Life of Apricots and Pears is referred to with they and them pronouns. He called him he once. That's not correct. Which is really exciting to me because something that Brad and I talk about uh, actually quite frequently, I don't know if you've talked about it on your show or not, is that how inclusive wrestling is, even without trying to be all the time. You know, how there's always been women. There's always been African Americans. There's always, you know. So you have... And it's Chikara. I mean, it's not WWE, but it's still, if there is a person out there who is struggling with their gender identity and really into wrestling, which tends to be very macho, but find Chikara, there, there is still life with apricots and pears, who is referred to as they. And I just, I loved it. I love this shtick. I thought he did, or seriously, there we go. I did it too. I thought that they did it very well. Well, see, there's another guy. I don't remember the other guy's name. I think it's the blank, maybe. There's like an artist guy that has painted him and painted they in promos and stuff. So um, unless they did the binary thing, I thought they were just calling him they because the still life was the other guy's like art project. No, they at the beginning of the match, well, I, the commentator said like, that's how he identified. Yeah, but I, that's previ- how they identified. Previously. It's hard. Previously, like when I had seen it, because I'm kind of getting back into Chikara. So this is only like the second or third show I've seen this year, out of a long time, and um, this was kind of like a established match. Like uh, Romo, really? Did they? Was it? How did they pronounce it? I don't want to mispronounce his name. I didn't even write down the other guy's name. It was Carlos Romo, I think. He really didn't get much in. Um, but this was a little better than I thought it was going to be because um, it's pretty obvious if you watch like the still life with apricots and pears is um, is um, fairly new. Like you can tell that they're pretty green as a worker. But I thought this was pretty solid. I like the, the finishing hold they used. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. So it's it's an interesting little... Um, you made a comment about this one. Like you said, it went faster than you thought it would. Oh, or... I thought this was going to be more competitive than it was. Oh, more competitive, right. Yeah, yeah because apricots are, are still life. Really controlled the match. It's still life with apricots and pears. I'm just shortening it. But it's um, it's an interesting gimmick because there's... It can work on multiple levels, like... People tend to boo it, I think, because it's kind of like, it is kind of more, it's really kind of like a pretentious art canvas that you'd see at a museum is kind of what the gimmick is. Yeah, so they're painted. So, um, and I think, I think they get painted differently every time. Like I said, there's another, there's like a, there's like a guy that paints him, but I don't remember his name. And um, so it gets booed because it's a heel 
gimmick. Of, right, yeah, definitely. You could tell it was a heel. Yeah. But I liked, I liked, um, the funny part was, and it wasn't intentional, so Still Life filled the Young Lions Cup with flowers. And when they took it at the end, they spilled the flowers everywhere. And then he, um, some fan put the flowers back in for them. And he just grabbed it and like scuttled away really quick. Yeah, they just successfully defended their title and and they just like ran away. Yeah. So then up next we had um, Princess Kimberly defeated the Whisperer. This was kind of a whatever match. It was. So what happened was Princess Kimberly basically German suplex Whisper into a concussion and then won. Yeah, that's pretty much it. They're um. They're tag partners that don't get along. Like, they got randomly chosen to be together. I don't know. They could have done better with this because they're both... Like, Kimberly's a decent worker and she does okay with guys versus um, a lot of, like, female workers that they try it with. Like, she holds her own pretty well. So I don't know why they, they did what they did with this because it, it was... It was it got the point across, like, for a story, but it wasn't anything memorable. No, it was it was weird. Whisper has great hair, though. Just putting that out there. <laughs> so the next we had a six-man match. Um, Fist, which is Icarus, Tony Deppin, and Travis Huckabee defeated the colony of Fire Ant, Green Ant, and Thief Ant. Which is crap. The ant should have won. <laughs> I like Thief Ant's gimmick of he would steal the other people's move, but they made sure to tell you he wasn't as good at them, so it blew up in his face a couple times. You've had me watch the colony a couple other times and i'm sure that ants come in and out of the colony fire ants the only consistent one over the yeah. years but i mean they're always entertaining when you see the colony on the on the sheet you know that it's going to be a good time there was a movie you really liked and i don't remember what it was It was at the very end red ant like flew like jumped off the it turnbuckle green ant. no okay. the red ant jumped off the turnbuckle and tackled all the other guys who were wrestling so oh, the green okay. ant could then jump off the other turnbuckle and try to pin... Um, I think it was Huckabee. It Huckabee. Try to pin Huckabee. But and then it blew that, up in his face. Yeah, that ended in nothing but tears and sorrow. This one was... I thought this was... It, it's not something that was amazing, but it was really fun. And it was a compelling, like, six-man match. It was worth watching. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But it's your typical Chikara thing where... It might not be the most technically proficient thing, but they're entertaining you every step of the way. And Icarus has fabulous flowing locks. Well, what's funny is um, they kind of glossed over this. So he has that back tattoo that you saw, obviously. So a lot of times he'll start the match with a, with like a jacket on. It'll start to unzip his jacket and the fans will start screaming no. Because <laughs> he's teasing that he's going to show the back tattoo. <laughs> And actually, when they turned him face, he wore like a full body suit because the, the tattoo is just for like his, to get heel heat. So he wore a bodysuit not to bother the fans with it because it is a god awful tattoo. I mean, I didn't see any details of it. I thought it was it's, a wing. Yeah, it's like angel's wings. Okay. I mean, his ring name is Icarus. So. Yeah, he used to be, um, I think he was like. Ichabod Crane or something when it first started and he had a mask and he teamed up with Hallow Wicked, but that's been a long time. So then we get to the main event, um, which was a ladder match for the Grand Championship. This is um, Dasher Hatfield defeated uh, Mr. Touchdown, Mark Anglicetti. So I'm going to kick it to you on this. 
So someone coming into this cold, how do you feel like they established the back history and like, do you think they made you care about this going into it? I'd say they made me care a little bit. They did a little video before that explained why there was a feud. Um, it was nice and short, but still got the point across, which I appreciated. I had a lot of interesting emotions during this match. Um, so I liked Hatfield from the drop. Like as soon as he came out, I really hadn't made a decision with the video on who should get it. And then Hatfield came out and I liked him. And then Touchdown came out and I wanted to stab him. I mean, that football gimmick is awful and I'm sure it's awful on purpose but I hated it like I can't take a guy seriously who thinks he's still on a high school football mm. team and all of his moves where he was like running a football drill before he did the move so annoying like so annoying he probably annoyed me more than anybody else on the entire see, show see the, the the football gimmick like when he did, when he runs the drills it doesn't work as well in singles like when he would do it in like tags or triple threats and he has like two guys down and he's taking turns like splashing them that's a little more that, yeah, I can see that might make more sense. But um, um what, I did not like that dude. What I what I think is interesting about watching Hatfield is he pretty much has his entire face covered. But when you watch him, it's not. It's like he doesn't have a mask at all. It's like you're watching his face. Like he emotes that well. Yeah, he emotes really well, and that's where we go back to my previous comment where Hatfield was the character. Like, I would totally believe that that's who he is in real life, too. I know it's probably not. But you can believe it when you see him where with Touchdown, you're like, oh, that's a guy playing a character. So you, you had one complaint, and it, it, it is the conceit with ladder matches. Um, I felt like they addressed it as the match went on, but this was early on. What was it that bothered you early on? And again, this is probably every ladder match I've ever seen. The guy goes up the ladder. No, I started too soon. The guy gets the ladder. He slowly drags it to the middle of the mat. He takes five seconds to look around. He opens the ladder. He climbs on the first step, tries to reach. Climbs on the second step, tries to reach. It's been five minutes. The other guy is now standing, has had a hot dog, and is coming back to throw him off the ladder. Like, it's not believable. If that's my belt and I want to be champion, I'm getting up that ladder as fast as I can. So the, oh, I'm scared, I'm two feet off the ground, I'm going to try to reach now, just isn't believable. It's not believable. Now, I felt like I felt like they fixed that conceit after the initial climb. Because so after that initial climb, touchdown gets knocked over the ropes and it looked kind of bad at the time. His leg kind of caught and then Dasher attacked his leg and he pretty much had an injured leg the whole rest of the match. So his slow climbing made sense. And then Dasher didn't make many attempts at climbing. No, I think Dasher made one attempt that wasn't provoked by touchdown. Yeah, because he was very... He was very reactionary in his um, climbing 
until the end. He was intent on using the ladders as, as weapons of mass destruction more than he was about climbing them. Now, I thought this was interesting because the ladders, the ladders factored in, but the ladders um, had limited use because there was a lot of brawling in this. I think, um, I think the part I thought was the best is when they wedged the ladders on opposite ends of the ring and they were kind of pinballing each other into them. So what they did is they kind of wove the ladders through the ropes. Yeah. So the ladders were freestanding, which was interesting because I didn't quite trust it and I thought that somebody in the audience was going to lose their teeth. We thought we were taking bets on how many people we thought were going to be killed in the process of this. But they totally held and they were throwing each other against them. And it was, it was like you said, it was actually really interesting and a really clever idea. I'm surprised nobody's done it before. I mean, someone might have, but if you haven't seen it, then it's not something that's used yeah, regularly. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that before. Now, I did, I did like, because it was very Chikara about how Touchdown went for the second ladder, the second taller ladder. Yeah, and it was much taller. <laughs> but, um, so, the really big move at the end was kind of actually totally brutal. So touchdowns going up and Dasher catches them and they kind of fight a bit. Well, no, we have to go to the one before that when um, Dasher uses the chair and like, tra- like it's called doing a Pillman, like touchdown was on the chair and like um, Dasher put his leg in a chair and then used another chair to hit his leg. Yeah, that can't feel good. Yeah, but the the end is so they they had the the taller ladder and then they wedged. They had another lamp. They had the smaller ladder standing on it and then on the middle rope. So that ladder was freestanding and the touchdowns going up and then Dasher power bombs him off the top of the big ladder and he breaks the smaller ladder, which is a legitimate ladder, mind you. And um, yeah, yeah. So the smaller ladder was horizontal, resting on the bottom rope and the bottom rung of the ladder. Maybe not the bottom, but near the end of the bottom end of the second ladder. So when he fell, he fell through the ladder, basically, and then hit the ground, and the ladder just bent in half. Yeah. And now this happened earlier, because I just remembered it, because this is what happens when you talk about matches. It was a nice addition of high depth where he spine-bustered Dasher Hatfield onto all those chairs and Dasher got up and you could see the indentation of the the chairs on his back. Yeah, and talking about the chairs, the chairs came into play because um, Dasher went out and harassed his son. Yeah, son. To pull the chairs out from underneath the ring. Yeah. I totally lost that word. <laughs> and, um... So I think they're setting that up. Like, if you're going to watch after this, I think that the Dashers are going to are going to have a break. And just for um, for for reference sake, touchdown is Boomer's second cousin-in-law, I believe. Is no, no, step cousin-in-law. Oh, step cousin-in-law. Okay, I couldn't remember it because it was. Yeah, but family, I like, I forget who kept saying it in the video, but family is all that matters. That was Boomer saying that. So, yeah, it's a whole family rift because the uh, the step cousin in law is, <laughs> was the 
title holder before this. Well, I was kind of surprised because I thought Touchdown was going to win because that's kind of how they set up the story. But then I realized when Dasher won that it would have been stupid to have Touchdown win because they have a good storyline going right now. And having Touchdown win the belt straight away is probably not the way to go. Well, as soon as they had Dasher yelling in his son's face, not once, but twice, very aggressively, I thought he was going to win because that's just sets up all kinds of storylines for the future. Well, I thought Boomer was going to turn, was going to like turn on touchdown midway through, but I was Oh, they're playing the long game. Yeah, they are. Because now he's going to turn on, on Dasher. So overall, what did you, what did you think of this match? I would say, I would say, um, for me, I thought this was the best match on the show and it, it didn't beat anything on NXT for me, but I thought this was a really strong match. I would say it was worthy of being the the headliner. I would agree with that. I think it was better than anything we watched on the WrestleCon show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because um, what I liked about this is I feel like, um, and I know you've seen a couple ladder matches with me. I feel like, I feel like as they went on, they did a good job of like subverting like the tropes of a ladder match and kind of used the gimmick well, but they also like went away from it in ways that you didn't expect them to. That it was almost a refreshing ladder match. Yeah. Like it didn't quite get there, but there was enough innovation and things that I hadn't seen before to keep me interested. Besides just two guys at the top of a ladder and which one's going to break his arm. And I like, too, that um, sometimes when they do these grudge matches, uh, and you've heard me complain about this before, and I think you've even complained about this before, is they get so invested in doing cool stuff that they forget to show that they hate each other. And I feel like in this match that they actually bypassed some flashier stuff for the sake of just going for what looked like it was inflicting punishment on each other. No, absolutely. That's a very fair assessment of this match. You knew that they hated each other. And that's how it was supposed to be, right? Yeah. It was a grudge match. But I, And I don't know if you noticed, because I don't remember what the video package is in, but I liked how Dasher went from his old costume to the gold mask and the black with gold because he's a champion. Yeah, he came out with the gold mask. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. So overall, what did you think about this show? Um, Just, yeah, just overall. I enjoyed it. Again, it's not something that I would have sought out on my own. But I thought that it was a... Do you want me to go shut the door? No. I I thought that it was a good representation of Chikara. I thought that if they had that... I thought if they wrote that show with a specific intent to try to get more Chikara fans and leverage this weekend, that they did a good job with that as well. So coming out of this, would you, if if I said, hey, they're having the rematch with Dasher and Touchdown, would you be interested or seeing like where that story goes, like on your own or like as part of like me watching it like would you seek that out on your own after seeing this no i'll definitely be interested to see where the story goes i'll probably be asking you about it every couple of weeks 
Um, so yeah, they, they invested, they earned my, in, my emotional investment into it with uh, the one match. Okay. Yeah. I, I like this show a lot too. I thought this was a, I thought this was a fairly strong show. Like it kept my attention. Um, they keep these short, so that helps, but it definitely makes me want to watch the next show. Um, another comment that you made was also about, they did have their problems. They did have a couple hiccups, but overall it was, it flowed. They knew where they were going. They were good angles. And you could tell that this was an established company. And I think some of that stuff's natural because I don't think they've ever run that building before and they were doing this live. So when you're doing it live, sometimes you can't cherry pick the best shots for things. I thought they did a good job. Yeah, I did too. And the, I thought the mics sounded good and stuff because like the WrestleCon one, like we, we commented like it had Excalibur on it and I, I thought the commentary on WrestleCon was good also. But you could tell, like, the mics were, like, kind of, like, a lot of these indie shows, like, the mics are blown out and stuff, and you can tell. And I didn't feel that way with Chikara. It's a good pick. Yeah, I thought so. So, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll be back with a regular episode this Wednesday, as always. Thanks.